What's going on, guys? It is your boy, Anthony Perry, back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Uh, as everyone knows, the formality to follow me on Twitter, my social media, is at Perry underscore 49ers. That's Perry, P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49ers. And uh, in this podcast today, we are going to be talking about the Niners in Seattle's upcoming game. Uh, let's just face it, this is the biggest game of the season for the Niners. Not just a divisional game, but... This game could predict the outcome of the final standings for the playoffs, for the Niners, for Seattle, for the Rams, you know, damn near the whole NFC. And quite frankly, if the Niners don't come out of this game with a W, then it's going to be a really tough hill to climb if they want to stay and finish with home field advantage for the playoffs. So going into this uh, Seattle game, let's just have a quick recap. Thursday night football, the Niners hang on and beat the Cardinals 28-25. to Jimmy Garoppolo's blow-up game throws four touchdowns over 200 yards, and he just looked like the guy, guys. He uh, he really showed people what's up, and this is a game everyone's been waiting for, and quite frankly, it was about time we got this game, and I love Jimmy Garoppolo. He's been the best game manager in the NFL all season, but for the first time, the defense didn't look too hot. Obviously, a uh, short rest, no practice, you know, et cetera, Thursday excuses, but uh, the run game couldn't get going either. And Jimmy Garoppolo pretty much put the team on his shoulders, and he carried the team to a victory. You know, this is a game everyone's been waiting for. This is a game I've been waiting for. And the fact that we got to see this from Garoppolo, even if Arizona's pass defense isn't the best, still shows me that he has what it takes to carry the team, just like he did when he first joined the Niners. And uh, aside from the Niners recap, let's recap Seattle's previous game. Sunday afternoon football in Seattle. Overtime game against Tampa Bay, 40-34 is the final. Seattle won. Wow, I don't know how Seattle pulled it off. Russell Wilson is the clear-cut MVP with the way things stand. He uh, he had one hell of a game, and without him, you know, Seattle probably gets blown out by Tampa Bay. But with that being said, Russell Wilson, 29-43, 378 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. This guy just, again, he's the MVP. Without Russell Wilson, Seattle was probably looking at a top five pick. That's just how depleted the roster is, I want to say. And I get there's a lot of good talent, but Russell Wilson is making the most out of everything that he's got. And the fact that he's performing well when everyone else around him, specifically the defense, isn't performing as good as a lot of people expected, it really goes to show how valuable Russell Wilson is to that team and how important he is if Seattle even wants to stay alive in the playoff race. And I get seven, uh, Seattle 7-2, and two, and they've had a lot of close games all season. But, I mean, again, Wilson is carrying that team. Without Wilson, Seattle's probably at the bottom of the barrel. So, without further ado, let's get into a preview of uh, Monday Night Football between the Niners and Seattle. This is the biggest game of the Niners this season by far. Again, not just because divisional, but this could really determine the playoff outcome early on. And a lot of people say, oh, well, it's just one game. The Niners have a lot of time to win. Well, at the same time, the Niners' schedule is pretty damn tough. I mean, after this, we do have Arizona, which is a nice little break again. But then it's Baltimore. Then it's Green Bay. Then it's New Orleans. We get a break in Atlanta. But then it's back with Seattle and Los Angeles. This is the toughest second-half schedule that the Niners have in pretty much the damn near in the entire NFL. I think Seattle has the first toughest. With that being said, though, the Niners need to win this game. And where does it start? Well, let's start with the offense. How the Niners can match up against Seattle's defense. Seattle's defense has been terrible. 
and I mean terrible. Just to put into perspective, in the Tampa Bay game, Seattle's defensive line only uh, pressured Jameis Winston three times. Three. And we're talking about a defensive line that has Jadavion Clowney, Ezekiel Ansah, Jaron Reed, and a bunch of other guys who can, you know, pretty much get the job done. And the fact that they only got three pressures against Jameis Winston, a guy who is terrible under pressure, probably explains why Winston had one hell of a day, even though he did turn the ball over. The big story with Seattle's defense hasn't just been the entire defense, but more importantly, it's been the defensive line. Again, they aren't getting pressure. I believe they're last or second to last in the NFL in sacks, and they only have nine. I honestly believe, too, that their leading uh, their leading sack quote artist is Michael Kendricks, and he has four and a half. Unbelievable. I, I would have never thought that Seattle would have such a poor defense. Just You look at the guys on paper, and you look at who they are, and you think, these guys should be getting the job done. And later on in this podcast, you guys are going to hear a really awesome interview that I got to conduct with Joe Fan, a Seattle Seahawks reporter, former Niners reporter. And he talked about one uh, defensive lineman in particular, Jadavion Clowney. You know, huge acquisition by Seattle. A lot of people thought this is going to take Seattle over the edge. They're instantly a Super Bowl contender once again. And Jadavion Clowney hasn't exactly gotten the job done. He's getting doubled a lot. He's getting pressure, but he's not finishing with the sacks. And obviously, when you trade a lot of assets like Seattle did to acquire Jadavion Clowney, you expect results. And the results are, you know, there in a sense, but they're not exactly what, obviously, Seattle is looking for. So the fact that they're coming into the season in this Niners game with nine sacks against the 49ers offensive line that is getting back their top two tackles and the most important piece of the offense, the fullback, (laughs) ironically, This defensive line of Seattle is going to be tested, and I think that plays into the favor of the Niners very well. Garoppolo is extremely good under pressure, but if if Seattle can only pressure Tampa Bay three times, I don't even know if Seattle can pressure Jimmy Garoppolo, period. And I know I'm overblowing it, and most likely Seattle will get pressures because whenever Seattle plays the Niners, they always have to get their way no matter what. But with that being said, I don't expect this game to be one of those ones where Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be facing pressure all night. Like I said, the tackles are coming back. Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey. Seattle's pass rush is terrible. Jimmy Garoppolo should have a lot of time to throw in the pocket. And I know he already has a quick release, but getting that time in the pocket, letting your receivers' routes develop, letting them open up, and I mean... This could be one of those blow-up games for the whole team. We could very well be looking at a game where the Niners could put up 40. And I love predicting 40. Odds are it doesn't really happen that often. But, hell, if the Niners can put up 50 on Carolina, and I think Carolina's defense is a lot better than Seattle, then I do believe the Niners can get the job done. Overall, like I said, Seattle's defense is not good. They still have very good pieces on the defense. Like I said, like Jadavion Clowney. Bobby Wagner is still there, Michael Kendricks, uh, Shaquille Griffin is a very good defensive back. And that's about it, really. I mean, you can have the pieces, but you can't have the whole finished product. So the uh, the Seahawks are rolling out other DBs there, like Trey Flowers. He hasn't gotten the job done. Uh, they've been rotating their safety tam- tandem. They've had Marquise Blair in recently. Uh, they have Quandre Diggs, who's supposedly coming back healthy and going to be ready for Monday Night Football, but we'll have to see. 
you know, Seattle's defensive uh, back, defensive secondary has just been, it's been a revolving door of players. And outside of Shaq Griffin, no one else has really gotten the job done. And this could be another one of those games where guys like Emmanuel Sanders and even Debo Samuel could very well be looking at career days. That's just that's just how porous the Seattle defense has been. So I'm not going to make too many heavy predictions until the end of the podcast, but I do believe that one of our receivers should eclipse 100 yards again, just like Sanders did last week. This is one of those games where Kyle Shanahan should have a field day exploiting the Seattle defense. First of all, Seattle still runs a very similar cover three as to what the Niners run, albeit the Niners do like to mix it up with man coverages, zone coverages, you know, prevent defense, quarters, cover three, you know, you guys get the whole gist. But in our in the interview that you guys have listened to with Joe Fan, he talks about how Pete Carroll hasn't exactly made the necessary adjustments to Seattle's defense and that could put them in a better position to win. And when you have something like that where the defensive continuity for Seattle is bad and nothing about the whole defense is changing. It, it goes, you know, it's going to play a huge factor into how Kyle Shanahan and the offense is going to just approach this team. Now I do believe the Niners will run heavy. Obviously we're the second or third leading uh, team in rushing yards per game. I think only behind Baltimore. And this is another one of those games where if Seattle's defense can't get it going, we could also very well see a 100-yard day from Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, Raheem Mostert, two guys, three guys, you name it. So this should be the type of game where the Niners should just absolutely be able to run the table on Seattle. And quite frankly, it's about time I get to say that because the past few years against Seattle has not been favorable. And now we're at a point in the season where we're seeing all these flaws with Seattle as a whole. And you can finally have some confidence and really face a reality that the Niners actually have a good chance of beating Seattle, even with the way Russell Wilson is playing. So going into this game, the wide receivers should have pretty favorable matchups all across the board. Debo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders, Kendrick Bourne, Dante Pettis, and so on. This could be the game that, once again, just like Arizona, Jimmy Garoppolo could blow up. The wide receivers could blow up. And we could just be looking at a really high-scoring game on the Niners' part. And I think a big question coming into this game, though, as I brought up earlier, is the run game. Seattle's defense is very exploitable, but at the same time, you have to kind of consider how well Arizona played the Niners' run game last Thursday. And I'm always going to throw in the fact that they played on a Thursday, no practice, short rest, and so on, and that's a huge factor. But at the same time, the Niners really, really couldn't get the run game going. I think the longest carry on the day was 22 yards, 25 yards by Breda. Otherwise, that was pretty much it. And I could be overblowing it. This could be a you know slight over-concern on my part. But the fact that the run game didn't even live up to what we've been seeing the rest of the season so far, it makes me wonder, can the Niners really sustain it? And I do believe they can. I really do think so. But I just would have had higher expectations against an Arizona defense that, quite frankly, is not that good. With that being said, though, Niners getting back Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey. The offensive line is back. The lead fullback is back. This could be a run-heavy game. And I know I talk about Jimmy G being able to blow up, but I think that really depends on if this game is going to lead into a shootout. And if that's the case, then 
the run game might not be as existent as we want it to be. But for the time being and for the sake, we can go with the fact that the run game should be pretty heavy for the first half, at least, in case anything happens. Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida should have really nice days. Again, even Raheem Mostert. Getting back Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey is huge. You know, Justin School, Daniel Rumskill, those guys played their asses off. And I'm sorry for the language, but those guys were playing like like starting tackles, and I couldn't believe it. I think on the whole time Justin School was starting, he only allowed three or four pressures. Daniel Brunskill, I think, only gave up one pressure in the time he's been starting. So the fact that we have two extremely capable backup tackles is huge when it comes to offensive line depth because a lot of teams in the NFL period don't have good offensive line play. And earlier in the month, I want to bring up real quick, former offensive tackle and you know, future Hall of Famer Joe Thomas he was talking about his favorite offensive coach to play under, and he brought up Kyle Shanahan. He believed that the offensive scheme Kyle Shanahan runs is the easiest for offensive linemen to adapt to. It takes a lot of pressure off of them. But he did bring up that you still have to execute, and it's not quite complicated, but you really need to understand how important it is to fill your assignment and really open up holes for you know the run game, obviously. And the fact that two rookie tackles in Justin School and Daniel Brunskill could get the job done really just shows how much of a genius Kyle Shanahan is. So the fact that we're getting our two tackles back and the offense was already looking pretty damn good with backup tackles bodes well for the Niners coming into the Monday night football game. And we're going to see a lot of successful outside zone runs. We should see some nice interior runs with Tevin Coleman. I've just... I'm just really expecting a good game from the a good game from the run game, obviously. Seattle's exploitable. They are not a good defense. And they are still one of those teams where they could just bust it wide out of nowhere and be a top five defense because of course they're playing the Niners. But I don't really think that we could expect something of that nature. Moving on, I think one big factor that everyone needs to consider, and I know a lot of people talked about that he was gonna suit up but George Kittle's injury. He got banged on the knee pretty damn hard by Chandler Jones in I believe the first or second quarter of the Thursday night game, and he got taken out the rest of the game after scoring that amazing touchdown. But with that being said, though, when you see your star tight end go down like that, it raises a lot of concern about, is he going to play? Is he going to be okay? Is he forcing his injury? Is he going out there playing hurt? And almost every single Niners player on that team and coach and staff member, whoever it is, even the fans, anyone, will tell you that George Kittle is the toughest son of a gun on that team, arguably the toughest in the NFL. So I don't expect him to miss this game, but if he gets nicked up on the leg again, or if he pulls something or tweaks something regarding that leg, then we could see some limited time from George Kittle. And with with how bad Seattle's defense is, I don't necessarily think that losing George Kittle will really, really affect the offense. And I get that he's a key piece of the offense, but if Kyle Shanahan can scheme around not having George Kittle get guys like Ross Dwelling and Levine Toilolo open, and I get Toilolo as a blocker, but he can still catch some balls. If Kyle Shanahan can adjust his offense without Kittle against a really bad Seattle defense, then I don't see Kittle's loss as being too big. Like I said, though, it is concerning that he didn't pop up on the injury report. I believe Matt Mayoko said that because they had the extra day off, it wasn't really an official practice day, so the Niners did not have to release an injury report. 
So it could be another one of those things that I'm overblowing. But for the time being, though, I'm going to be massively concerned because, you know, he's George Kittle. He's the people's champ. And quite frankly, not having your star tight end can dramatically affect your offense. For the time being, though, Seattle's defense isn't good. Losing George Kittle, in case he's not there on Monday, should not be too bad. But with that being said, I fully expect George Kittle to suit up. He's just, he's such an integral part of the offense, and he doesn't want to miss any time. He doesn't want to miss a single game. You know, he talked about how upset he was having to come out of the Arizona game. But you really need to play caution with who you're dealing with. And George Kittle has a slight injury history. He's had some hip issues, some back issues, obviously this, you know, nasty leg injury. And I think he'll be okay. He seems like he recovers very well. But you just have to consider the circumstances. You want him to be safe. You want him to be rested. You want him to be fully ready for, again, what is the biggest game of the Niners this season so far? <laughs> and a lot of people talked about how the Carolina game was the biggest game of the Niners season, and yet they put up 51 on that team. This game is monumental for the Niners this season, and arguably it's going to be just as important as the Green Bay game, the New Orleans game, the Baltimore game. You know, now that I think about it, I think every game from here on out is important for the Niners because you hear a lot of people talk about how three teams out of the NFC West could make it in the playoffs, obviously the Niners, Seattle, and Los Angeles, with uh, Seattle and Los Angeles being wildcard teams. So every game matters. Now, I don't think the Niners can finish the season 16-0 because that schedule is daunting, but I think they can make it into the playoffs with a first-round bye if they can manage 13-3, 12-4, because we're seeing a lot of teams like Carolina, the Rams, Seattle, hell, even Green Bay if they decide to drop off, Minnesota, a lot of these teams could finish with 10 wins. And, you know, only 16 games in the NFL, the difference between 11 wins and 10 wins or 12 wins and 11 wins is absolutely huge. So the Niners got to come into this game ready to play. They got to come into this game ready to smack the hell out of Seattle because if we don't, every inch of ground that we lose in this playoff race is going to affect, you know, the overall outcome for just about every team going forward. And you hear a lot of people talk about how, well, if the Niners finish 3-5, and five, or they finish 4-4, four and four, they'll still be in the playoffs at 12-4. and four. Well, I get that. But I think with such a young team like the Niners, and you know the vast majority of them obviously do not have playoff experience, I think having that first-round bye is huge. Having that extra week to prepare for whoever they're playing in the, in the what, the first round, divisional, it's, it's going to be important. And I know I'm looking too far ahead, but you know, as a Niners fan, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. You look way too far ahead. So with that being said, though, I want to close off with a good question is that can this be another Jimmy G blow-up game? Four touchdowns, 250-plus yards against Arizona. No one saw that coming. I didn't see that coming. And in the first half when the Niners really couldn't get the run game going, I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo's game. This is going to be his game because teams tend to kind of be trendy after a first half. Like, if teams can't get a run game going, odds are they won't get it going in the second half. They're not passing much in the first, and they have the lead. Obviously, they won't pass much in the second half, you know, etc. So the fact that we all got to experience Jimmy Garoppolo's career-best day on Thursday night against Arizona is, it was something to behold. Like I said, I didn't expect Jimmy Garoppolo to perform the way he did. I know he has that potential to really put up that kind of game. 
And quite frankly, I think he's able to put that up against Seattle. But if the run game can get going, I don't think this is going to be a huge Jimmy Garoppolo pressure game. But at the same time, too, and I'll get into it later with Seattle's, uh, or excuse me, with Russell Wilson, you know, he can keep Seattle in the game. So Russell Wilson alone makes this game a shootout, more or less. And I heard some people talking about how this could be a really run-heavy game. Obviously, the Niners' defense has not been good in the run game as of late. Seattle's defense has not been good in the run game. Both teams run the ball heavy. So it could go both ways. It could be one of those, you know, 30 to 34 games, 40 to 35 games, you name it. It It's quite possible, although I don't believe the Niners' defense should give up more than 30 to Seattle. I do believe, though, that this game could very well be a shootout, and it could very well be a shootout fast. Okay, so transitioning from the offense, we're going to talk about the defense. I just brought it up. Stopping Russell Wilson. This guy is having the best career season he has ever had. I mean, a lot of people knew that Russell Wilson was his quarterback. A lot of people knew that he had the ability to carry the team. But I didn't expect Russell Wilson to just put up these kind of numbers, really be the workhorse on the team, and just keep Seattle alive. Like I said, Seattle just, I, you know, they don't go away. They don't. And that's a huge testament to Pete Carroll. That's a huge testament to Russell Wilson and the rest of the coaching staff. So, Russell Wilson, what has he done this season? 22 touchdowns, one interception, one, just one. Seven and two record as a quarterback. He's completing 68% of his passes for over 2,500 yards. He's throwing a touchdown seven and a half percent of the time, and I mean, that's remarkable to go along with one interception. You know, he has a quarterback rating of 118.2, which I think is number one in the league, and I mean, this guy is playing like Aaron Rodgers. It is absolutely unbelievable. So, the big question, the one that everyone is going to ask for, the one that I'm asking, the one that everyone wants to know, can we stop Russell Wilson? And I'm not talking about Russell Wilson throwing the ball, I'm not talking about passing the ball, running, you name it. I just mean just containing Russell Wilson, getting into his head mentally, knocking this guy's confidence off the top shelf, just lowering his self-esteem and just getting this guy down to the ground because Russell Wilson likes to have magical games against the Niners for whatever reason. His whole career, he's just been tormenting the Niners. And this could be the first season where Russell Wilson might actually have to face some fits. Obviously, 49ers, best defensive line in the game. D Ford, Nick Bosa, DJ Jones, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, Ronald Blair, you name it. These guys are going up against a Seattle offensive line that isn't, that good still in pass protection, but they have been better in previous seasons. Or excuse me, they have been better this season compared to previous seasons. Now, I do believe that if Russell Wilson wasn't as mobile as he was, he'd probably be sacked way more. But the fact that this guy is still a dual threat at the age of 30 is going to put the Niners' defense on its toes. And I won't be surprised in this game if he's going to escape a sack from D. Ford or Nick Bosa, and we're just going to be clawing at our eyes going... Why can't we hit this guy? Why can't we hit this guy? Well, at that point, hopefully we'll have, you know, four or five sacks and, you know, a couple of his evaded 
tackles or evade the sacks. It'll just be an aberration of the rest of the game. But, again, do I think the Niners can stop Russell Wilson? Yeah, I do. I think so. I think that if the defense can shut down Tyler Lockett, shut down DK Metcalf, force Wilson to throw underneath, or or another big thing, too, is just keeping Russell Wilson in the pocket. He is a playmaker. And I mean, I mean a playmaker in the sense that this guy can throw his receivers open. This guy will draw the attention of linebackers. He'll make the linebackers come forward. And all of a sudden you see a tight end like Luke Wilson or Chris Carson, Rashad Penny. They leak out in the middle of the field and you see a signature Russell Wilson lob and it's a 20-yard completion on a two-yard pass. So it's things like that that this Niners defense is going to have to be ready for. And the most unfortunate thing about this game coming up is obviously that the Niners have lost Quan Alexander. Uh, torn pectoral in the Thursday night game, it, it blows. It really blows. And I know the Niners' run defense has not been good as of late, but I don't think it'll be... <laughs> I think it might be even worse without Quan Alexander. And I do believe Dre Greenlaw and Aziz Alshair can fill in nicely for Quan Alexander, but I don't think either guy will have the impact that Quan Alexander does. What makes Quan Alexander a superb, a superb linebacker is that he can recognize holes, recognize those running lanes, A-gap, B-gap, C-gap, or outside zone runs, pitch, you name it. He can recognize, he can diagnose, and he can attack that hole faster than almost any linebacker in the game. And arguably, he attacks those holes at the speeds that guys like Bobby Wagner and Luke Keekley do, you know, uh, Leighton Vander Esch and those kind of guys. Quan Alexander is arguably on that tier of linebackers. So, with his kind of loss, what can we expect from the linebackers? Obviously, Fred Warner is still playing, you know, still a bright spot on the linebacking core. Second-year players having a tremendous season. He's going to have a lot on his plate. And he's going to need to adapt quickly to what Russell Wilson does. He likes to scramble. He likes to break the pocket. He likes to, you know, pump fake and dump it off to a running back right when the linebacker comes forward. Warner is going to need to recognize, and he's going to need to recognize quickly. Uh, Dre Greenlaw, Aziz Alshair, these guys just, they cannot bite on play action. They had a tendency in the preseason to bite on play action, and it opens up the middle of the field, and quite frankly, it can lead to some bad news very quickly. And another thing, too, is speaking of the middle of the field, the Seahawks just added Josh Gordon. A lot of people talk about how he lost his step. He's not the same wide receiver that he once was. I, I don't know about you guys, and I, I'm probably going to be the only one to stand on this island, but I think Josh Gordon still has it. I think he has the physical ability to bully DBs, to get open, he still has good speed. You know, a lot of people credit to him being out of the game for so long as to why he hasn't played well and why he hasn't really stuck around. Well, I think having that time away for Josh uh, Josh Gordon to really rehab himself is, it, it should do a lot of wonders on him. And the fact that Seattle brought him in, brought him into a situation where he's welcomed, he's on a team with winning culture, that he's also going to realize that this team just, flat out needs him is going to be huge for uh, Josh Gordon himself. So I'm not necessarily expecting a breakout game from Josh Gordon, but I do believe that the Niners and especially Kwan Williams, you know, star slot corner, 
needs to be ready to defend Josh Gordon. Uh, Joe Fan and a lot of other uh, media analysts and you know even fans point out that Josh Gordon is likely going to play in the slot for Seattle. And quite frankly, I think that's best suited for him. You know, he still hasn't proven that he is back, although I do think he has what it takes and he can be that guy again. But for the time being, with other wide receivers like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, you know, there's not really much field space for Josh Gordon. So I could see him getting 20 to 30 snaps if Seattle is really passing the ball. And he could very well be a factor. Speaking of wide receivers, though, Tyler Lockett, Man, this guy is arguably one of the best wide receivers in the game. Arguably, arguably top five. And I know that's saying a lot, but hear me out. Tyler Lockett has been the most underrated receiver for quite some time. And, I mean, Michael Thomas has been too, but Tyler Lockett is just doing things that, quite frankly, I didn't even expect him to do. You know, he leads Seattle in touchdowns. He leads Seattle in receiving yards. And the fact that this guy is just going out there and having one hell of a career season with Russell Wilson, the connection that they have is it's absolutely unreal. Unfreaking real. Tyler Lockett goes out on the field and he's not that big, he's not that strong, but he's a bully. He outmuscles people, he outruns people, and the guy is just finding ways to get open. And even when he's not getting open, even when he only has one step, one step on the guy that's covering him, he will still catch a ball. And a lot of that is obviously is accredited to Russell Wilson because he, his arm talent is just unreal. But you still have to go out there and make plays, and that's exactly what Tyler Lockett does. And then we get to the opposite side of the field, DK Metcalf. This guy is arguably the runner-up rookie of the year behind Josh Jacobs. DK Metcalf, five, uh, five touchdowns, f- over 500 yards, 29 catches on 54 targets. This guy is shutting down the haters who are saying that this guy can only run three routes. This guy can't get the job done. He's unreliable. He's not what everyone expected. He, he shut that down very fast. And this guy is, I can't believe he got taken in the third round. This guy is just living up to his draft status. He, you know, he should have been drafted higher in my opinion, but in any event, DK Metcalf is going to be a problem. Now, I don't necessarily think that we'll see Sherman versus Lockett and Emmanuel Mosley, or if Akella Witherspoon comes back versus DK Metcalf. I think Seattle likes to switch over their wide receivers here and there. So the DBs will be tested. But Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, again, these guys are phenomenal wide receivers. I don't necessarily think Seattle has a super strong wide receiver unit outside of Lockett, Metcalf, and who knows with Josh Gordon. But the skill is there for these guys to get the job done and really surprise a lot of people. So one big thing going into this game, the pass rush needs to get at Russell Wilson. Sherman is having a really good season, don't get me wrong. Emmanuel Mosley is having a really good season also. But this is going to be the biggest test they've had to face regarding Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I think that Mosley can press DK very well. I think Sherman could do that also. If you can knock DK Metcalf off of his route, just get him disrupt and just... Because, let's face it, he doesn't have the best route running skills yet. He has a decent route tree other than, you know, a go route, a crosser, or a curl, or even a comeback. 
but the guy still doesn't have the full route tree yet. So if the DBs can just press him, knock him off of his route, and really disrupt his timing, I think DK Metcalf can get shut down. And quite frankly, I don't think he's going to have a blow-up game. He's capable of putting those numbers up. I think he's capable of being that guy. But for the way the Niners' defense, and especially the way the defensive backs have been playing, I think they should be able to shut down DK Metcalf for the most part. And this goes into Tyler Lockett now. I do not think Tyler Lockett is going to have a bad game. Russell Wilson is finding ways to get Tyler Lockett the ball, no matter what the situation is, no matter what the case may be. Tyler Lockett is going to get open. Even if it's a drag route, even if it's a post route, even if it's a double move, even if it's a comeback, you name it. Tyler Lockett is going to find a way to get that damn ball in his hands from Russell Wilson. And quite frankly, it's probably going to be the most frustrating thing on Monday night. I do think that they can limit him, but I still think that Tyler Lockett is going to have one hell of a game. He just He's one of the most underrated and dominant receivers in the game. And Sherman... If Sherman is shadowing him most of the game, I do believe Sherman can match up with him pretty well. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple instances where Tyler Lockett just breaks one free off of Sherman and it's a 25-yard gain, it's a 30-yard gain, you name it. So moving away from the DBs, I'm going to go back into Seattle's run game. Power-heavy scheme, zone-heavy scheme, you name it. These guys will just run the ball down teams' throats. And it's a lot similar to how the Niners play. I do think the Niners have a way better run game than Seattle, but Seattle still runs the hell out of the ball. So with that being said, how can the Niners stop Seattle? Man, those defensive linemen need to feast on that offensive line in the run in run game, obviously. I just got to come clean, man. Chris Carson fumbles the hell out of the ball. The defensive line needs to get to him. They need to hit that damn ball because Chris Carson will fumble. If Chris Carson gets open field, if he, or if he even gets one-on-one with a linebacker or a DB, they have a very good chance of, uh, he has a very good chance of fumbling the ball. But just because he has a fumbling issue doesn't mean he can't run a ball. Chris Carson is, has a lot of talent. He might not be the fastest, but he is damn near a bulldozer of a running back who will truck guys and who will fight for yards after contact. And I won't be surprised if he gets a 100-yard game or if he even gets an 80-yard game, you name it. I do think Seattle is going to run the ball, and it's going to be a really frustrating night for the defense in terms of run defense. But if the pressure can get to Russell Wilson when he's passing, force Seattle to really run the ball only, then I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if Robert Sala is stacking that box, hoping to get Carson to just fumble, stop, get little gains. Because quite frankly... This is, again, I brought it up earlier. This is one of those games where it's going to be clock control. If it's a shootout, both teams will pass the hell out of it. But if it's a game that's 10-7 to 7 going into halftime, we might see another 20 carries from each team in the second half. That's how, that's how run-heavy both of these teams are. So, aside from the defensive line, the linebackers need to step up. Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, uh, Aziz Alshair, you know, these are the guys that just, they need to be ready. And I mean, they need to be ready, ready. And I, I believe in them. I really do. But if the Niners want at least a chance to beat Seattle, and I do think they can beat them, if they want the chance to really make a name for themselves, they need to attack Seattle where they're the strongest. And ultimately, again, 
That's your run game. Can they do it? I think so. But they're going to have to really show that they can stay balanced in between the run game and being able to read and diagnose play action. So, um, without further ado, let's get into the Joe Fan interview. We go in-depth about Seattle, what what Joe Fan is looking forward to with the team, how Seattle is going to match up against the Niners, and just how he thinks the game is going to go overall. Because even he thinks that this is going to be one of those games where Seattle can have their way with the Niners, but it might not come easy. So here it is, guys. Without further ado, my interview with Joe Fan. What's going on, guys? It's your boy Anthony Perry here with a uh, with a really special guest and a you know one of my favorite people on the planet. This is uh, Joe Fan. He covers the Seattle Seahawks for NBC Sports Northwest, and uh, I'm ready to get into it, Joe. Let's get right to the point. This is probably the biggest game of the season for both teams. But I think the story this whole season regarding Seattle has been Russell Wilson. The guy has been playing the best football that we've honestly seen out of him his whole career. And I think he has a lot more to offer. So, the Niners' run game has been exposed pretty good the past few weeks. And obviously, Seattle runs the ball really well. At the same time, we've also noticed where Russell Wilson has had to carry the load more or less in quite a few games. Do you believe that this is going to be another game where Russell Wilson is probably going to have to carry his team, or do you think that the run game might take some load off of his shoulders? I mean, you hope the running game helps out, but I think the offense in general is going to have to carry this team, and they're going to have to put up points because the Niners aren't, uh, or the Seahawks rather, aren't shutting out the Niners, and the Niners are going to score points. Um, you know, we just haven't, unless the, there's some just unforeseen improvement from the Seahawks defense or. You know, the Niners' D- or offense just lays an egg, and Jimmy makes several bad decisions and is turning it, all, turning it over all over the place. Um, you know, so the Seahawks are going to have to keep pace. And, um, you know, the goal is what you hope for is you keep it within a score into the fourth quarter. And the Seahawks, you know, to their credit, you know, over the last couple of years, they've just been so good in crunch time. And so, you know, they're, they're, they always find a way to make that one play, that one stop, or get that one score to win these close games, even if it's ugly for the first three quarters. And so, um, that's got to be the recipe here. You got to find a way to stay within striking distance. But um, you know, in order to do so, it's going to be up to Russell Wilson and Chris Carson and Tyler Lockett to keep pace. It definitely feels like with the way Russell Wilson moves out offense, that uh, other than him, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson, and you know DK Metcalf has stood out also. But more or less, it's been those three guys who have really, who have really just taken that huge step forward in order to just keep Seattle alive. So going to the other side of the ball. I have to ask you, with the way Seahawks' defense has been struggling, is this something that you, I don't want to say expect, but kind of caught you off guard? Because I think a lot of us didn't think that Seattle's defense would not look as good as it's been. Um, I think the surprise of the pass rush has been so invisible. You know, you signed Ziggy Ons in the offseason, and it was a one-year prove-it deal, but you still anticipated that he was going to fill in at least to a certain degree for Frank Clark, who you traded away. Um, and he's just been uh, uh, pretty much a non-factor in the pass rush. You know, he only has one sack, and that sack came on the last play of the game against the Arizona Cardinals in Week Four. So, kind of a garbage time sack. It didn't really mean a whole lot, uh, you know, given where the game was at. So, um, you know, Jadavian Clowney's been been good in terms of you know his pass rush win rate, but he's not getting home because you know teams are throwing double teams at him, and there's no consequence. You know, Jaron Reed in his three games back from suspension doesn't have a sack yet. The defensive line as a whole only has nine through nine games. They've had to bring blitzes and get their linebackers involved in order to get any sort of pressure on the quarterback, and that's just not sustainable. 
Um, you know, cause a team that picks up a blitz is going to pick you apart. So, um, I think if that's to me and probably every other, you know, everyone around covering this team, the fan base, you know, the, the most alarming thing, the biggest cause for concern is that pass rush that really through nine games has been non-existent. Yeah. And when uh, when a lot of people saw that the Seattle Seahawks acquired Jadavion Clowney, a lot of them thought, well, Ziggy Ansah on the opposite side, Jaron Reed obviously up the middle, this could be one of the best pass rushers, and obviously that hasn't been the case. When you have players of his kind of caliber and Ansah and Jaron Reed, do you expect them to turn it up at least at some point? Do you think that you can see those guys really start to step up in the second half of the season, especially with uh, every game really being big at this point? Yeah, I mean, maybe. I honestly don't know. I mean, you haven't seen anything from – it's not like Ziggy's had a bunch of near misses to your point to like, oh, all right, that's you know, that's reason for optimism, and he's going to turn things around. So, you know, Jaron Reed, you know, you can just chalk some of it up to shaking some rust off. But, you know, his 10-and-a-half sack season last year kind of came out of nowhere. So was that an aberration, or, you know, is that something that he's going to be able to sustain through his career and, um, you know, have it be a regular thing? So um, who knows? Because he hasn't shown through three games that he can still do it and maintain it. And so – um, I don't know. I mean, it depends how, how you, what you want your outlook to be, whether you're glass half full or glass half empty guy. But you know, as a reporter covering this team and having watched every snap of this season, um, I'm not sure what you point to as a reason for optimism or a belief that, you know what, you know, this is just going to turn around here, uh, here soon and, and really take off. Yeah. I think a lot of Seattle Seahawks fans with the way the season's been going for them have kind of maintained that glass half full attitude. But at the same time, you do see a lot of people, uh, you know, more or less be disappointed with how it's going. But speaking of people, I got to ask you about Pete Carroll. He's been able to uh, coach through a lot of adversity, whether it be a bad defense, whether it be Russell Wilson just carrying the whole team, especially this season. So I got to ask you, based on what you've known from him previously and now, do you think that this has been his toughest season as a head coach? Um, I think it's his toughest season because he's a defensive head coach and he has philosophies based on having a, a strong defense. Um, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have a defense that warrants that kind of approach. So, you know, you've seen him be conservative, um, on fourth downs and, and punt or kick field goals where, you know, a lot of fans are looking at that and saying that's an opportunity to, you know, put the, you know, ball in Russell Wilson's hand and try to go for it and, and make a play and can keep the offense on the field. You know, he's, 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 still calling the game like he has the defense of 2012, 13, and 14, and 15 for that matter, where, you know, they led the league in scoring those four straight years. So um, I think that's the problem, right? I mean, you're not coaching the team you have, you're coaching the team you want to have. And so um, I don't think there's been enough in-game adjustments in terms of how um, he approaches things. And so, you know, who knows how that'll adjust down the stretch, or maybe the defense does take some unforeseen big strides. I mean, Quandre Diggs is a guy who um, – you know, they don't know what they have in him yet. They just trade for him from the Detroit Lions, but he's missed the first couple games with the Seahawks with a hamstring injury. And so, you know, how does he fit into the mix? And so, um, you know, other than that, I mean, yes, I, I do believe that, um, you know, this is, you know, Pete Carroll's toughest task because, you know, he's, he's now, um, you know, dealing with a group that, um, you know, isn't necessarily doesn't fit the mold of what he's looking for and what he's trying to accomplish in terms of in-game decision-making. You go back to how Seattle was with the Legion of Boom days, and you see that Pete Carroll is still implementing more or less the same style of defense, obviously with different personnel, and it hasn't been able to work out the way it used to. And you see those kind of things, and you got to figure, man, Carroll's got to change up something, but 
you know, obviously that hasn't happened. With that being said, though, even with uh, the cons coming on the defensive side, has his uh, previous success as a head coach, obviously coming into this season also, has been an advantage to him? Like I said, he's uh, he's had some really great teams, and I'm not saying this team isn't great, but it's definitely not what it used to be. Do you think that his overall head coaching experience is be- is uh, just able to support the way the team is going as a whole? I mean, Pete Carroll's biggest strength is his ability to to build chemistry and, and build a locker room and build. You know, he he trusts his program. He calls it more than anything. I mean, you know, he. It's tried, it's true. I mean, the the success and the longevity of success, um, you know, proves that he's onto something and has created something that's sustainable. I mean, the culture within the Seahawks and the belief that that comes from him and uh, Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, I mean, it stems to the entire team. And that's why everyone feels comfortable and excited to bring on a guy like Josh Gordon because no one's worried about being a culture fit because, you know, their belief is that everyone fits in and team, you know, players who have who have been uh, in Seattle and left, um, you know, have felt that they've missed the program. And then people who have come from other um, teams to join the 49ers feel like, man, this is, this is amazing. I can't imagine. I don't know why they do it. Don't, don't do it this way everywhere else. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that builds toughness, that builds grit, um, that builds a team that believes it can finish no matter, you know, what the score might be in the first or second quarter or even third quarter for that matter. And it's why they've been so good in the fourth quarter in recent years. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's any reason why, you know, they're not going to go into this game on Monday night thinking they, you know, have a huge opportunity to win a big game. And it probably bodes well for them that they're six and a half point underdogs. It allows them to go back to that underdog mentality, the us against the world vision that helped establish Seattle as such a great team back in 2012. And I think that's a perfect transition into what I want to bring up next. The 49ers, they've been the hottest team in football, a no coming into a huge game against Seattle. Obviously, you covered the team in your past, and, uh, you know, we miss you. But uh, based on what you're seeing from now an outsider point of view, what similarities in culture do you see between the Seahawks now and the 49ers now? A lot of people want to compare the two teams as in the defensive style, the rugged, run-heavy team. Both these guys just... They, I feel like they have a lot of similarities in some ways, especially with the 2013 Seahawks versus the Niners now, and you can flip-flop. So I got to ask you, what kind of similarities do you see between both teams? Um, I mean, I think uh, the culture is fairly similar. They go about it a different way, and Pete Kerr might be more rah-rah than Kyle Shanahan and, and all that, but I think the, the root of it is all the same. It's treating every game like a major opportunity and not looking past um, you know, one opponent to the next. Um, you know, not getting too high when things are good, not getting too low when things are bad. I mean, never things are never as good as they look, and things are never as bad as they look. And so Kyle Shanahan has done such a good job of staying even keeled through the two years of bad, and then now through the eight games um, of what's been dominant football largely. And so that's really important when you have a head coach that stays the course through the good and the bad. Um, it's very similar to what the Seahawks have in Pete Carroll, and um, you know, you're able to to maintain confidence. Um, and stability, even when, you know, when things aren't going well and, you know, you don't get too high on yourself when things are going well, you understand that you have to continue to put the work in. So, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan says you're either getting better or you're, or you're not, uh, you're never staying the same. And, you know, Pete Carroll's line is you're either uh, competing or you're not. So, um, I mean, the root of it, you go to those two taglines. I mean, it's all very much the same. I think you couldn't have said that any better. You know, two different, somewhat styled head coaches, but both of them deliver the same message. So I got to ask you, 
with the way the Niners are playing, they have a huge week coming up, obviously against Seattle, and then they got to go up against guys like Green Bay, New Orleans, Baltimore. Do you think that anyone inside of Seattle is looking at the Niners schedule and thinking, you know, we are honestly in striking distance of taking first place in the West. And a lot of people talk about how three teams could possibly come out of the West in the playoffs. But at the same time, no one has ever counted out Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. So do you think that even with the way the Niners are playing, the Seahawks are really still in striking distance of taking first place? Well, they're definitely within striking distance. I mean, they're only two back in the loss column, and they play them twice. So, uh, you know, even though they're six-and-a-half-point underdogs, and I think they're playing with house money in this game, should they win, they're in the driver's seat. You know, the Niners still have to go to New Orleans. They have to go to Baltimore. Those are two really tough games, the two teams that have beaten Seattle. And so, yes, I would anticipate that, you know, the Seattle Seahawks are going into this game saying, yeah, we're playing with house money. It's on a must-win for us. We will probably only have to go three and four down the stretch to claim a wild card spot, but the division is still very much in play. And yes, it's going to be a tough game, but again, it's, you know, this, the Niners are in complete control, but the pendulum will sw- swing the, you know, opposite direction should Seattle win this game. And, you know, all of a sudden they'll be in the driver's seat. And then you could look at that week 17 matchup to close the year as, um, you know, what decides it all. And I think that's a perfect question to finish off with. Uh, Joe, I got to ask you one more thing. I know you haven't been with Seattle too long, but obviously you get to see everything going on firsthand. You hear all these stories about Russell Wilson, about how he's such a calm dude and he's such a goofy dude at the same time. So I got to ask you, whether it's big or small, what's your favorite Russell Wilson story so far that you've seen from him? My favorite Russell Wilson story. Um, You know what? We sat down with him during training camp and NBC Sports doing this big headstrong initiative. And and Russell Wilson is so in tune with his mental health and makes it a priority. And he's got to... You know, a mental health coach that he talks to on a daily basis. And, you know, I think there's just been around all of sports, there's been such a, an adoption of the importance of mental health and making sure you're, you know, kind of in tune and, and healthy in that aspect. Cause, you know, you can train your body, but you have to train your mind as well and make sure that's in tip top shape because so much of sports and life in general is mental. And so we sat down with him just to hit how he approaches that side of football and life and sports and, and all that. And I thought it was just really interesting. And, you know, we're going to start rolling some of that stuff out here soon. And, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Joe, thank you so much for this interview. It uh, it means the world to us. Um, just to close out, where can uh, where can everyone find you on Twitter on social media? Yeah, so on Twitter, Joe underscore fan with two ends, and then uh, all my work can be found NBCSportsNorthwest.com. Got the Talking Seahawks podcast um, once a week coming out with Matt Mayoko here tomorrow um, or on Thursday, I guess depending on when you're listening to this. Um, which I'm looking forward to, and uh, yeah, just can't wait to get back down there, see some familiar faces, and. Uh, you know, for everyone listening, appreciate uh, your time listening to the podcast. Appreciate you having me on, man. And, uh, you know, I hope everyone down there is enjoying the winning season. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the ride because, uh, you, you know, you go through the losing seasons. You got to make sure you enjoy the good times as well. So it uh, should be a good time on Monday night for sure. All right, Joe, that about wraps it up, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And, uh, as always, follow the Red and Gold Standard. We're here for you. Okay, guys, just want to thank Joe Fan again for that interview. He's an awesome dude. I really miss the guy with the Niners. He was one hell of a good reporter, one hell of a friendly guy. He was just, I love Keanu Martin, but man, Joe Fan was just, he was just a show. The guy's smile, the guy's attitude was just, it was, it was awesome. It was, you just go out there and you go, man, this is the coolest dude ever. So without further ado, let's get into the red and gold standard fan mailbag. Fan mailbag, mailbag, questions. We're going to answer your guys' questions. So, 
From Daniel Corbin on Twitter, at DC underscore Corbin. Is McGlinchey going to be ready to play? If not, would it be better to move school to right tackle with Staley coming back, or do you leave Brunskill in? And with Spoon coming back soon, will he get his job back outright, or will they do a rotational thing like they do with the running backs? So, I'm going to start with Mike McGlinchey. I think he's going to be ready to play. The team seems very confident that he's going to play, and he should fill in that right tackle very nicely. I personally think that Daniel Brunskill has been a better pass protector than Mike McGlinchey. Even PFF shows it. I think Brunskill has a 77 grade, whereas Mike McGlinchey has like a 70 or 72. And it might be minor to some, it might be big to others, but overall, Mike McGlinchey should be ready to go against this game. And with the way Seattle's pass rush has been terrible, their run defense has not been that good, he should be lining up over Ezekiel Ansa. So... Ziggy Asa is having a very down year from his 10-sack season a year ago, and I think even with the time missed, Mike McGlinchey should have a nice game against him. He's going to need to be a bully. Ziggy Asa, just because he's having a bad season, doesn't mean he still has a lot of talent, so Ziggy Asa should be able to get the, or excuse me, <laughs> Mike McGlinchey should be able to get the job done. I don't think he's going to have too much of an issue, and it should look good from there. But to finish the second part of the question, if McGlinchey can't play, I think I don't think they move Justin School. I think he's gotten too much time on left tackle to really make the switch to right tackle. And I think they would roll with Daniel Brunskill. Because, again, Brunskill has been a phenomenal backup. He arguably looks like he could be a starter on another team. But if McGlinchey can't go, I would just leave things the way they are. Leave Brunskill on that right tackle. Obviously, Joe Staley comes in for Justin School at left tackle. And it pretty much goes from there. And then the second part of the question, with Akello Weatherspoon coming back, will he get his job back outright? I think so. I think Emmanuel Mosley was a great diamond in the rough find. He's playing his, you know, again, he's playing his ass off. But the most important thing with Akello Weatherspoon is his development. He was having a Pro Bowl season as a cornerback until he got hurt. And then obviously he got hurt. He hasn't been back for, I think, what, six games, seven games? He's missed quite a bit of time. Emmanuel Mosley has been nice. But I want to see Akello Witherspoon develop. I want to see if he can pick up from where he left off. And if he can, great. The Niners' defense has just improved immensely. But if Spoon drops off, if Spoon doesn't show the way he was playing in the first couple games, I don't think Salah and the guys will be hesi- or won't hesitate to put Emmanuel Mosley back out there. I think, in a sense, it's almost like a 1A and 1B thing. If Spoon is fully healthy and he looks good, and, Mo- and they do believe in Mosley... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they rotate him in and out. I would I would like Spoon to get more playing time and really just have him stick out there. But with the way Mosley's been playing, I don't think you just leave a DB like that on the bench. So I wouldn't be surprised if they get a little rotational thing going. Okay, next question from Tim Stringer at JIWTim1. Thoughts on Dre Greenlaw hopefully not sucking. Also, how can the Niners improve against the quick screen that Seattle will most definitely try to exploit without sacrificing deeper coverage, or are they not skillfully equipped to do both? I don't think Dre Greenlaw is going to suck. He has He's he's almost like a mini Quan Alexander in a sense. He's got range. He's got speed. He's a very good tackler. I think where a lot of people are getting Dre Greenlaw sucking is the fact that he likes to bite on play action, and we saw that a lot in the off, in the preseason. Do I think Dre Greenlaw can improve based on his limited playing time and what he's been able to watch? Yeah, absolutely. But I think if push comes to shove and things don't work out, Dre Greenlaw will bite 
on play action, and we could see it happen. I do believe in the guy, though. I think we've got some great coaches on that team who can really prepare the guy and just have him get the job done. I think Dre Greenlaw can do it. And as for the quick screen game, Seattle, you know, with their three wide receiver sets, I think they will run some quick screens, maybe not as much as Arizona, because Seattle's offensive line is somewhat better than Arizona, so Kyler Murray obviously had no time. I think Russell Wilson will have a little more time than Arizona, not by much. To stop the quick screen game, though, you pretty much got to stack that defensive side of the field, preferably man coverage, you know, when you have wide receivers run blocking or in the case pass blocking, man coverage shouldn't get doubled. They shouldn't get eaten up. You're essentially asking who's ever on the guy catching the ball to just make a one-on-one tackle. But the only problem with man coverage on quick screens and short screens is that if you don't make the tackle and your DB and your DBs can't shed the wide receiver blocks, it can it can open up very fast. And I mean, I'm talking. This is the type of play where if no one sheds their blocks and misses their tackles, it could be a 40, 50, 60 yard touchdown, you name it. So I believe man coverage is the best way to go about it. You stack that side of the field. But if you want to play things safe, you can run a cover three, cover two, you know, just have guys kind of balanced out, you know, be able to make the tackles, cut them off midway through and allow 10, 15 yards instead of giving up the big play. I do think they are skillfully equipped. I kind of overreacted to that also, Tim. I thought that the Niners did not defend the screen game well, the draw game well against Arizona. But I think they should be able to do it against Seattle. With 11 days off, 10 days off, a lot of time to prepare and finally have time to practice. Obviously, a home game also. I think that's a big factor going into how uh, how the Niners can prepare for the screen game. Okay, next question. Uh, Jono at Chafe underscore McCoy. Small thing, but why are kickoffs de- deliberately so short, allowing the opposition a chance to run the ball back? What's your theory? I prefer to just kick it dead and let them start on the 30, 25. Huge chance of big yards or injury to our special teams defense. You know, I've been noticing that too, and I was talking to, you know, my podcast host, Zach, who unfortunately isn't here tonight. I was talking to him about how, why do the Niners kick the ball so short? I think when they kick it, Wisnowski can really sounds funny, but he can really scoop the ball when he kicks it. He really gets under it. He can get a lot of air on those kicks, and I think that that plays into the advantage of how the Niners special teams operate. Obviously, when Emmanuel Mosley is out there, Raheem Mostert are out there, two of the best gunners, you know, quote gunners, are basically the guys who are making tackles in all of football, they can get the job done, and the more open field you give them, the more time you get them to run down the field, the better chance you have of uh, of just having a short play on the kickoff and I think with the way the Niners special teams has been playing the return game hasn't been that good but the special defense the special team's defense has been really good I don't necessarily mind them doing that it does kind of bother me at times because when you do see the opposite team move the ball to the 30 or the 35 you're thinking well if Wisnowski would have just kicked in the end zone obviously Seattle or whoever it will be wouldn't have gotten the game so I think it's one of those, like, not necessarily pick your poison, but it's one of those, you can do this and most likely this will happen, or you can do the other thing and most likely the other thing will happen. I don't see the Niners giving up a touchdown on a kickoff or a punt return, but 
they can be susceptible to giving up a decent amount of yards with those short kind of kicks. Luckily, though, the special team's defense has been very good, so I don't really see it being too much of a problem. Although, I will admit, Jono, that it is a really frustrating thing to see sometimes. And then last last question from my regular listen, uh, longtime follower, love that she always brings in these questions, is Natalie Ray. Natalie, obviously both the offense and defense need to play optimally to beat the Hawks, but why do both of you think will be what do both of you think will be the key to beating them? Defense, running game, Jimmy G, and passing game, maybe avoiding penalties, avoiding turnovers, gold, making some tough field goals. I think, and I'm going to go way back into this podcast, I think to beat Seattle, you got to, you got to cut the head off the dragon, and that's Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is carrying this team, and I mean carrying you take Russell Wilson away from this team, Seattle is probably 0-9, 1-8, whatever. Russell Wilson is doing so much for this team. And if you clip his wings, if you uh, if you just get this guy down on the ground, you sack him, you force incompletions, you force a lot of pressure on Russell Wilson, don't give him any time to run, you know, throw down a QB spy. If it has to be Dre Greenlaw or Fred Warner, spy Russell so he doesn't scramble, so be it. Stopping Russell Wilson, point blank is the way to beat Seattle. That's how much this guy matters to the team. And if Seattle, or excuse me, if the Niners can just stop Russell Wilson, they can limit the run game, this game should be in the bag, point blank. I think the Niners can handle Seattle regardless, though. I think that the Niners are just, simply put, a better team than Seattle. They're better coached than Seattle. And overall, just the Niners should not have too much of a problem, unless Russell Wilson has another game. And I'm jinxing it now, but I would not be surprised if Russell Wilson has one of those games. So, Natalie, to answer the question, stop Russell Wilson. Stop the guy who's making everything move. Basically, stop the engine of the whole thing. All right, guys, that that about wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And again, big thank you to Joe Fan. He's my favorite. He's everyone's favorite. I miss him on the Niners. I love what he's doing with Seattle. You know, find him at Joe underscore fan with two N's, NBC uh, Sports Northwest. He does his podcast. I think it's Talking Goals. It's uh, He does a podcast. He just recently had one come out with Matt Mayoko, obviously 49ers beat writer. You know, take a listen. But uh, that's about that about wraps it up, guys. Follow me on Twitter, Perry, P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49ers. And, uh, you know, let's get, let's get down to it, everyone. The Seattle game, biggest game of the season. Let's get it rolling. I think they got it. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for listening.